Hello, Jonathan North is the author of Nelson at Naples, 1799, which tells the story that um, he's been contributing to the Napoleonic Quarterly and telling um, about all the goings on, which seem to happen rather fast and rather quickly, um, but are really significant and uh, I think are slightly underappreciated, perhaps um, following so soon after the events of the Nile, uh, a little bit overlooked. And so it's been a great pleasure to talk to Jonathan about that. Uh, and I'm obviously delighted to have a chance to talk to him a bit more now. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, um, I wanted just to say a little bit about how I came to write the book because it is a rather unusual subject um, and perhaps a little niche, but it is an important series of events. Yeah, go for it. One of the things that uh, I think, as anyone interested in the Napoleonic Wars appreciates, that our period is dominated by short men with uh, aggressive tendencies <laughs> yes. and of course Napoleon <laughs> is the primary one uh, that gets most of the attention but Nelson is the other. Um, I wasn't particularly well versed in Nelson's career in the 1790s but I did get drawn into it when I started reading about um, the events of Naples and what I realised very quickly was there are two stories uh, about Nelson. One is the British version of events, and the other is what the Italians have been saying about Nelson for the last 200 years. And when you start reading about the Italian version of Nelson's career, the events at Naples take on unusual uh, importance. Um, because he is accused, he stands accused of a, a war crime, which I wouldn't say is totally airbrushed from his British biographies, but it's relegated down um, to not being as significant uh, as perhaps it should be. So, Gosh, and are you talking, Jonathan, about you know just the general strategic advice that led to the ill-fated decision to invade uh, you know further north in uh, the papal states in in late 1798 or something more specific it's something else he was of course involved in triggering helping to trigger the war and the unsuccessful um, war that followed uh, and the collapse of the, the the royal family and their flight to Sicily but in the summer of 1799 um, he helped return the royal family. Uh, to Naples in June 1799 and he plays a very inauspicious uh, role in getting the um, Republican garrisons in Naples not only to surrender but to get them uh, to evacuate their forts and just as they're evacuating he, he kidnaps and arrests uh, all of the leading members of the government and hands them over to the uh, to the royal uh, to royal vengeance. Yes, this has triggered something in my brain. I've I've got a book here. I've just grabbed it while you were talking. Here it is: Nelsonian Reminiscences by Lieutenant G. S. Parsons, our Royal Navy, and the very first entry in it is Naples Bay in 1799. The veteran spread his hands abroad and presented a fine picture of a brave man in extreme peril, this lieutenant recalls. 
the court was cleared and a very short time elapsed before it was again opened to pronounce sentence on this devoted noble. Admiral Prince Caraccioli, you have been unanimously found guilty of the charges brought against you. Anyway, they hang him. They hang him by the neck. And and it's all rather bloody and grim and pretty horrible, pretty, pretty full, full of retribution. It is. It's really quite a quite a horrible series of events. I mean, Nelson is archly anti-French, understand, uh, archly anti-Republican. He's all king and country. That's understood. Um, but what he did uh, in Naples was he engineered uh, the kidnapping and handing over of hundreds and hundreds of Neapolitan republics um, who were subsequently tried i think they executed over a hundred um, oh right so it, it wasn't just caraccioli then so the admiral caracciolo was the most significant uh, and he was hung from from the yard arm like a, a common mutineer um even though he's uh, he was an admiral and uh, a neapolitan aristocrat um so that that caused considerable offense in uh, in Italy, uh, obviously after the Bourbons fell and Italy forged its identity as a nation, this whole episode became a, a central uh, event in in showing how bad the Bourbons were and how how bad um, Nelson had colluded in in this anti-republican massacre. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny just looking at this lieutenant here and, and his writings. He says that um, the seamen of our fleet consoled themselves that it was only an Italian prince and the Admiral of Naples that was hanging, a person of very light estimation compared with the lowest man in a British ship. So clearly there was this sense of, you know, being pretty brutal about them because they weren't they weren't that important. What's um, what's interesting is that a number of Nelson's captains in the in the fleet in the Bay of Naples did actually complain to to him and to the Admiralty. So you've got Duckworth who who sent several letters saying this is no way you should be treating people like this. Um, and a little later after uh, Nelson died, you've got it. I wouldn't say it's a famous book, but it's a really interesting book by Captain Foote called Vindication, A Vindication of My Actions in the, in the Bay of Naples. And I would recommend anybody to read that because it's a very principled um treatise on how you should handle prisoners that have been given to you for your care and how you should respect them and um, treat them uh, uh, according to the laws of war as they were understood they weren't codified laws quite at that time but once people have capitulated to you and put themselves into your power there's certain responsibilities that then you have to take and Nelson completely ignored those and strung up those he could and handed over those he could to to royal executioners who were busy throughout the summer of 1799 in Naples uh, shooting beheading and hanging people so it's a really 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 dark story Um, yeah this is pretty grim did Nelson ever offer a defense of his approach absolutely he was very clear that uh, he'd done it as part of the restoration of a legitimate royal family and that he was punishing rebels and republicans um, and that's how you should be treating uh, traitors so he was really quite honest about it 
and uh, I, I think that uh, I would say unashamed um, because it was, uh, as far as he 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 saw, it was a war uh, of principles and um, very much the, the Republicans were on the on the on the on the side of the evil ones and um, legitimate monarchy was uh, uh, was totally justified in in stringing up people who had um, betrayed it. So the question then, the big question is, having looked into this closely and written about this, do you consider Nelson's actions to have been a war crime? I do. And I say that um, having thought about it very carefully. In fact, the last chapter in the book, I do try and comb through all of the evidence um, for and against. And I can see that really... uh, in terms of the laws of war at the time, and trying not to think about it with any sort of modern bias, um, he really did break a, a signed convention. So um, the reason the uh, the Republicans surrendered in Naples was because they had a, a treaty uh, that was signed and sealed between Cardinal Rufo, who represented the king, um, and the Russians and the British under Captain Foote. Uh, on one hand, uh, and it was um, signed with the Republicans and the French garrison on the other. And Nelson arrived after that had been signed and sealed. First of all, he said, well, we're not going to agree to that. And everyone said, calm down, no, we have to do this. So he said, okay, we'll agree to that. So you can start evacuating your forts so you can then go into exile in France. And I'll take you there. So the Republicans come out of the castles troop down to the harbour, start getting loaded onto British ships, and then they don't go anywhere. And Nelson says, ha ha, you're here now. What? You're not going to France. I'm going to hand you over to a royal justice. So it's very clearly a breach of, uh, of a signed convention. Normally when a convention like that, a, a treaty of surrender is broken, everybody gets returned to the position they were in when the surrender was signed. So you've got a couple of examples of that in the Napoleonic Wars. I think um, it's uh, Dresden uh, in 1814, Danzig in 1813, where someone breaks the, the surrender treaty and everyone goes back and resumes their position behind their walls, in their garrisons. That's what should have happened in Naples. They sh- the Republican garrison should have been placed back in the castles and the siege should have resumed and they would have had a fair chance to either then surrender unconditionally or put up a fair fight. But no, Nelson said, come on out, we'll take you, we're going to enact the treaty, you're going to go to France. Uh, And they ended up on his ships and uh, he arrested them and handed them over to the Bourbons. So definitely, I I do think there's, there's a very strong case for saying uh, it's a war crime. And it wouldn't be so bad if the toll hadn't been quite so catastrophic, also for the, um, the future development of Naples. So we're talking about executions, uh, we're talking about arrests, and we're talking about thousands sent into exile. And these were the, the intellectual uh, and political elite of Naples. Um and somehow that really held Naples back for 
from for many decades afterwards. So it's a, it's a real crime against the Republicans, but it's also, I think, it's a crime against um, against Naples and its uh, its future development too. Well. Uh, you know, every day almost, I think I look up Whitehall and see Nelson's column, uh, and uh, one thinks of various victories, but one doesn't think of this. It's not, it's not very well known, not very well appreciated. Uh, I mean, some people, you know, given the internet being the internet, it's plausible that some people will will look at you and and say he's just trying to trash Nelson's, the, you know, the reputation of this war here. Absolutely, and I, th- I think that you know we've all seen various historical fashions where you take a great man and then you say, well, actually. He was horrible. He's really bad. He's, you know, and you, you, you knock a statue over, uh, figuratively, metaphorically. But um, I, I came with no particular axe to to grind, and I think that you also have to perhaps see it from from the period. He was Nelson in his mind was waging war against the principles of the French Revolution, which, from his point of view, were anarchy, death, destruction, vandalism. Um, so he would have thought that this is absolutely uh, justified and worth it because uh, he was fighting a, a wider war against um, against something that he he saw as uh, as as being wicked, um, and particularly his close relationship with uh, Hamiltons, the Hamiltons and the, the royal family, and made gave it that extra edge of a personal uh, crusade and vendetta that uh, perhaps wouldn't have been the case had he not been so close to uh, uh, to the um, to the winning side yes well the the steamy romances of the court and that heady atmosphere was clearly a factor and i saw i didn't really uh, touch too much on that in our you know we've only got 10 minutes you've got to whistle through what's going on in terms of the events but now is a good moment I've got to ask you about this very odd menage a trois uh, form, forming up now, um, yeah. What, 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 do, what do you make of it? It is, um, it is a very odd situation, um, and well, it goes back to the very odd marriage between uh, William Hamilton and uh, Lady Hamilton. Um, we should remember that there was a, a previous Lady Hamilton who was a really quite uh, cultured, aristocratic uh, lady who liked to play in string quartets and was very much the intellectual equal of Sir William. Um, But she died and Sir William went back to uh, Britain. Um, I think it's his nephew who had uh, uh, Emma Hart's uh, future Lady Hamilton Mark II as a mistress. Um, And um, he was uh, hoping to marry. So he had a, a spare mistress going. Um, and um, persuaded the rather elderly Sir William to take this young, um, uh, well, relatively young uh, girl um, back to uh, to Naples, and she became the famous uh, Lady Hamilton. Um, Nelson um, arrived on the scene, and with this aura of the hero, Sir William didn't really object to... Um, Nelson's closeness to um, Lady Hamilton, um, and um, that that always was the case. So they did form a, a, a menage a trois. Um, uh, I think that uh, at, at some point um, Emma 
uh, became pregnant. I can't remember exactly. Some say it was uh, while going on a, a cruise around Sicily. Um, but uh, she bore Nelson's uh, daughter. And um, eventually, when the British uh, Admiralty tired of Nelson hanging around Neapolitan ports, um, living the, the life uh, uh, of um, lover and hero, um, and they recalled him back to, to Britain. They set off on a very long journey across Europe uh, through um, Austria and Saxony. And uh, uh, yeah, they arrived in Britain and set up home together, uh, much to the delight of all the caricaturists and satirists. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it was a, a genuine, genuine relationship. It's just rather strange that um, Sir William was so, so tolerant. But then a lot of people were in awe of Nelson and... Um, he was uh, one of the one of those. Yeah, I think what marks it out is this um, pa- power, policy, and passion coming together in a slightly odd way. Where because you you know within the the context of the court where La- Lady Hamilton was able to she had the Queen's ear, and you know this this was a small handful of people. It's sort of made for a limited six-part Netflix series, isn't it? That's what we need. It is perfect. And again, it's some part of uh, Lady Hamilton's biography that doesn't get much of an outing is the role she also played in the events in the Bay of Naples in June 1799 when the Republicans surrender. So there are in the National Maritime Museum, there are lists of names, Italian, Neapolitan names in Lady Hamilton's handwriting where basically uh, they go through the prisoners and they shortlist the uh, leaders of the Republican government. Uh, and these lists go off to the Queen. Uh, so the Queen can basically say, well, yeah, we'll have these ones and we'll execute these ones. So um, they were very, very involved in, in the whole retribution um, vendetta against the Neapolitan republics, republicans, and I, I try and cover that in the in in the book. So um, Nelson and Lady Hamilton really were as bad as each other there. Oh my gosh, um, the plot thickens. That's the passion. That's the kind of passion between uh, Nelson and Emma that that doesn't make it into into their biography so much. The passion for revenge against the Queen's enemies. Oh, gosh, revenge is another critical ingredient here. I mean, you, you, this is all pretty um, mind-boggling stuff, but it, but it, but it's all there. So, OK, let's let's um, move on from all of that if we can. Although, crikey, the temptation is there to just dig in deeper and deeper. But um, and just to talk about Naples as a place to visit today, um, because I think, uh, you know, the uh, Napoleonicist, um, uh, to coin of to, to not coin a phrase, given the excellent podcast by Zach White. Um, but you know, someone interested in this period can get an awful lot out of visiting Naples. There's there's so much there. W- would you agree with that? Absolutely. So um, Naples uh, is uh, was um, the second city in Europe at the time. Paris on the continent of Europe. Paris being first, Naples being second in terms of size and scale and grandeur. Napoleon um, didn't visit Rome, didn't visit Naples, um, so there isn't so much of a connection to the little Corsican. However, uh, there's a still a lot to see for those interested in this period. So um, in Naples itself, you've 
you've got a few monuments to the Republic 1799. Um, you've got a, a few memorials. Um, and you've got uh, some of the strategic places that played such a role in um, in the events of 1799 and later on in, in 1806 and, uh, and so on. You've got, um, uh, there's a castle on the hill, uh, which was built by the Spanish who then uh, dominated, who then owned uh, the Kingdom of Naples. Is that uh, Capo di Monte? St. Elmo. Um, and um, that's something that uh, is quite a steep climb up for, up to the top of the hill. But it, from that castle, you've got a superb view of the Bay of Naples. Down in the harbour, you've got something called Castel Nuovo, which is an old, um, again, an old Spanish fort. That's where the, the uh, Republicans were kept, uh, one of their garrisons, 1799. And there's another one called Castel Uovo, which is uh, also quite a pretty one. Um, there's the Royal Palace, which is full of very interesting um, um, artifacts and um, uh, decorations uh, about uh, not only about the Bourbon family, but Joachim Mura, uh, who became King of Naples 1808 to 1815. Uh, Joachim Mura, obviously Napoleon's Marshal, famous cavalryman, King of Naples, um, did a lot for the city. Uh, improved it, uh, expanded the palace, um, uh, did a lot around there. And, um, well, of course, just generally uh, around Naples, you've got some very nice islands. Capri, which is famous, there's a famous, uh, for Napoleonic enthusiasts, there's a famous battle where Joachim Mura uh, sent an expeditionary force which took Capri from the British under Sir Hudson Lowe, who would become famous later as Napoleon's jailer. Um, so there's a battle there, various naval battles. You've got the island of Procida, Ischia as well. Very nice. Oh, I've got something to say about Ischia. Um, well, I, I mean, I so I did a, um, uh, when I was a journalist, I, I managed to somehow blag a, a, a night in different hotels all the way around the Bay of Naples for a, a week's worth of free hotels. It was fantastic. All you had to do was write a, you know, a travel review for, for one of the, the travel websites. Um, uh, and so I got to stay in the Palazzo Murat in, in uh, Positano, um, which was where he had, uh, he had stayed um, and, and hung out. But um, m- more interesting was uh, the Castello Aragonese on the island of Ischia, which is this much older castle, a really impressive spot. Um, perfectly i mean incredibly defensive you know basically a castle on a big rock um and um i was i i've got this great vivid memory of a beautiful summer's evening um and just exploring this place after all the guests had you know got the boat back home and uh, came across a, a a church which had been was ruined was open to the air so all of the uh, you know decorations baroque decorations were all you know really really old but what what was so interesting was that i was told that it was a british frigate um, that had bombarded um, the the castle uh, during the napoleonic wars and that that so so it had been ever since then this church had been open to to the elements and they were only just getting around to restoring it but there was a really strong sense then of of the history of the place and there is something about the bay of naples which is bewitching and it's very easy um, you know, you've got brilliant art galleries in um, 
I think there's one in the in one of the castles you mentioned. Well, quite a few really, but taken taken together, there's a, there's a lot to give a strong sense of a um, uh, the, the 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 idea. I hadn't realised that it, Naples was Europe's second city at the time, but it sort of makes sense uh, in a way. And if you think about those islands, they sort of form a little sort of semicircle around Naples, so you can see immediately how strategic those would be for a maritime power like Britain. So not not a big surprise that a frigate spoiled his gear and that British troops were on Capri uh, because you hold those islands and basically you command the trade going into and out of uh, Naples as a city. It was a huge port. Um, it was a very important uh, trading location, less so under Joachim Murat because of the uh, continental system, but still um, there's a lot of activity around there. And um, one of the things also, um, Sicily um, did never, never really fell under, never fell under French sway at all. Uh, so the Bourbons uh, of Naples took refuge in Sicily and that became, uh, under British protection, that became a little British colony in a way. And um, one of the things the British were interested, two things the British were interested in, well, strategic importance of Sicily, yes, but also lemons. Lemons, ah, now we, we <laughs> lemons and scurvy. Um, obviously, uh, we realised that uh, lemons played an important role in defeating scurvy, and Sicily was the prime producer of lemons. So, if you uh, if you control the Sicilian lemon trade, that's very good for maritime power. And the other one was. Um, a uh, nice sweet sherry wine, which um, Sicily also produces, which was a very good substitute for for port uh, and French brandy, uh, which was becoming French brandy difficult to get hold of. Well, wow. uh, so Marsala wine um, became a, a very popular tipple of choice for the Royal Navy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, the, the underappreciated benefits of being able to control Sicily and uh, gosh, yeah, they know clearly those those two things very important for for different reasons. And, and Nelson, I don't think he ever made it to his. Didn't he have a patch of land? He was Bronte, the Duke of Bronte. He did. This is also quite an interesting story. So he was Duke of Bronte. Um, Bronte is a little village in the foothills of. Um, in, just uh, near Mount Etna, um, on the I think it's on the east eastern seaboard of um, of Sicily. Uh, he didn't go there. I don't think he ever went there. Uh, but he was gifted this as a reward for having restored Ferdinand and Maria Carolina to their throne in 1799. And the, the royal family looked around for something to do for him. Uh, they gave him various swords and um, medals and jewels, but they also gave him a duchy. Um, so he was uh, Duke of Bronte. And um, I think it's a story that uh, the um, the father of the Bronte sisters changed his name to Bronte um, to uh, to commemorate Nelson. So they're no. called the Bronte sisters because of that. Um, no way! I had n- I had not clocked that connection. It was in to flatter to flatter Nelson. It was a kind of patriotic thing to do. That's mind-boggling. I, I I had not appreciated that connection at all. All what? kinds of all sorts of connections. That uh, that's why history is so interesting. That you can kind of tease these things out. It's really very very keeps on giving. Gift keeps on giving. 
Well, and I suppose often I start these interviews by saying, how did you get into this this period? I think I ought to end this interview by by asking you that that question. What was it that drew you to, you know, to to look at the history of of Nelson at Naples in this period in particular? I have to say it was a trip to Naples. Ah, I would recommend to anybody. Um, but um, you 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 go there and and, and you do um, as you're wandering around um, the various incredible medieval alleys. Um, in the centre, you've got the Spanish Quarter, uh, which goes up uh, the hill. But around the university, you've got a lot of um, very interesting uh, places to walk, really quite pedestrian, um, so you can uh, just wander around. Um, but as you go down to the port, you've got this uh, this huge um, castle called uh, Castel Nuovo. Um, and quite close to that, um, uh, you've, uh, you start appreciating the, uh, the strategic significance of the place. Uh, and, and not too far away, there's a column uh, that they put up for the Martyrs of 1799. So I hadn't really heard of the Martyrs of 1799. Um, for me, it seemed, well, 1799, what does that, what does that really mean? I, I kind of obviously been uh, interested in the Napoleonic Wars uh, for a very long time, rather too long. Um, so I had some sense that there were uh, there had been uh, sister republics in Italy, uh, but they were in my imagination they were 1796, 1797, uh, and they'd all gone rather well. But um, I started looking into uh, uh, Naples, um, very very short. Um, uh, republic and ended very very badly. Uh, so it was only there for around six months um, in in 1799. So it's kind of a little blip in history. Um, but as soon as I um, uh, started reading about them and then noticed there was a very strong British connection to uh, <laughs> to the demise of the republic, um, then it really uh, captured my imagination. And like I said, when I started reading Italian sources, God, I was really shocked. Um, that um, they really blamed um, uh, Nelson for this uh, this horrendous crime, um, and by and large, yes, um, they've they've got good reason to. Well, that's a bit of a, a bombshell uh, interview, I think. I, I can imagine uh, there being some uh, dismay uh, in, from some quarters at this being pointed out, but you know, for all of your his- heroes as you, as you build them up, that the, often the picture can be a bit more complicated. Well, I think it's. Uh, I think it is. History is like that. I mean, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm ambivalent about some of Napoleon's um, activities. I see him as a great man, really astonishing general, great administrator. But you can't overlook some, you know, fact that five hundred thousand men died in Russia in 1812, and you can't overlook these things. It's all part of being. Um, great um, and, and famous, there's always something going on um, uh, that uh, is bad and wicked as well. So we just have to acknowledge that um, heroes uh, have feet of clay and they're capable of bad things. I think that's, uh, we should be doing that now and we should be doing about the great figures of the past. I, I think it's, it's wrong to sort of view it like a football team where you support one side against the other. So I think as historians, you know, we shouldn't, we should be doing that. Uh, it, it really does add to the complexity of of, of uh, the people that dominated the age and makes them more interesting. 
that is, I think, a perfect note to end on. So I think, Jonathan, thank you very much. I just say thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Alex. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.